Our scripture today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission of God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Now I have the absolute pleasure of introducing our guest speaker, who is a dear, dear friend of Gateway, and someone who's spoken with us before, and what I'm sure would say his greatest accomplishment is being Karen's dad. <laughs> so please welcome Leonard Thompson. I apologize for coming in a little bit late because today I started an eight-week Bible study at the Rising Sun Christian Church. So for the next eight weeks, it'll be rushed back and forth. I'm glad to do that. I'm glad God is keeping me busy. Not only because I'm old, because you know the old proverb, idle brains, devil's workshop. And I don't want to get caught into that. <clears throat> If anybody doesn't know who I am, I'm introducing myself. I'm the father of Karen Thompson right here. She's doing well in her job. She did well at Purdue. She did well in college because of the brains I gave her. <laughs> so next time you uh, compliment her, think of me. Before I pray, uh, little bit of my style. I've always said this. I'm different. I'm an evangelist and I've been preaching more than 60 years. I like to move around a lot, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et Never mind all of that. But I have been coming to Gateway because of her many, many years from the time we all were in the school those days and uh, the little theater, the park, we all used to meet at times, all of that. I've known some of the other elders, the Paul and Kyle and all these guys, the preachers and so on. And I want to commend an institution is only as great as its leadership. And I want to commend the leadership here, just for one factor. Oh, by the way, you want to know more about the elders and the leadership? The Bible is absolutely clear on qualifications and who, etc., etc. First Timothy, whole of Titus, read them. Go according to them, you won't be wrong. And preachers have come, preachers have gone, that gateway goes on. I was reading an old poem which I had to study in school when I was a kid. For men may come and men may go, but I go on forever. That's the kingdom of God. Actually, the brook, that's the name of the, the poem. That does not refer to the kingdom of God, I'm using it. You have gone through crisis after crisis, I know. Many a time I wanted to interfere and share some things and give some advice. After all, I'm old enough to do that, but there's a daughter. And uh, 
So, but I want to commend you this morning before I preach. You have not folded up. You've gone on and you are doing good. I praise you for that and I do thank God for that. I've been all around the world, 20 plus countries, preaching, teaching. I remember when I was at one of the graduates went out to a new church, smallish, Missouri, and after two or three Sundays, he stood up and said, I know why God brought me to this church. He brought me here to bury it. And the church closed down. You are in no way going to close down. I thank the leadership. I praise God for you. Thank you this morning for giving me the opportunity to preach. Father God, take over. You know how, how I have prepared and prayed and etc., etc. But now, Lord, it's all for you, for your glory. Take it over. Use me as I always pray with whatever faculties you give me brain, tongue, lips, experience, wisdom, degree, all of that, Lord, to your glory. And so I pray with the psalmist, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts together be more fully acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The scripture was read that I've chosen from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter one, not going to read all of it again. But if you would remember, there was a, a section there that said now God has made known to the Gentiles the mystery that was hidden for centuries and that mystery is this Christ in you the hope of glory oh by the way I apologize no uh, a PowerPoint or anything for two reasons one is I didn't get it ready on time and as Tina uh, Karen told me dad you never follow what you have there you always wander away, so no problem. Christ in you. Emphasis there, the preposition in you. And that means hope and glory. We must realize, most of all, that we were created for the glory of God, and that glory of God has to be displayed in us through our relationship with God. God didn't create us because he was lonely. That's totally unscriptural. God has fellowship. He doesn't want our, he wants our fellowship, but he does not need our fellowship because he's got fellowship and love and companionship in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he created us out of his free will to have a relationship with him and to glorify him. And that's where this little passage comes in. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now there are three important words in that text. Christ, hope, glory. We all know who Christ is. Of course, don't tell me you don't. Uh, and you say, come on, let's move on. I know who Christ is. Yes, I know you do. But... Uh, we know he is God. The son of God, yes, he is God. But let's look at the equation because a mysterious equation because God is father, God is son, and God is holy spirit. 
I don't know the metaphysics of this. I love theology, teach it. June, I was teaching at Manila Bible Seminary in the Philippines on uh, Asian Christian theology. My class, by the way, at uh, Rising Sun is comparative religions, etc., etc., etc. So I love theology, but I don't know the metaphysics of, or the, the, the divine generation, if you call it, of how God can be Father, God can be Son, God can be, I don't know. But I could prove it. I've got the evidence for it. And so I accept it, I believe it. Tons of evidence, just take one. Jesus was being baptized in the river Jordan. And what does John record for us? Jesus in the water, son of God. John says, I saw the spirit of God, spirit, like a dove descend on him. And a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. What better evidence do you want that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? But look at this now. Uh, Christ is God. And therefore, Christ is Holy Spirit. Therefore, Christ is... Well, look at it this way. If I had a lapel mic, it might be better, but Christ is God. This is Christ. This is God, and this is in the middle of the Holy Spirit. Christ is God. God is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is Christ. Christ is in me. Who is in you? The text says Christ is in you. Who is in you? God is in you. Who is in you? The Holy Spirit is in you. Now, what does that do to you? What does that do to me? That relationship at creation time, when God created us in his own image. Let me ask you a few pertinent questions, and they are pertinent, they are relevant. How many of you, are, when you go to work, for example, or trying to park here on Sunday mornings, which is, you know, how do you feel at that time about what you mean? How do you feel about God being in you when your marriage breaks up or when you're cheating on your wife? How does it feel God being in you when you lose your job or your mother is dying of cancer? God is in you still. The Holy Spirit is like, are you aware of it? Because if you're aware of it, your life will be different. It will be demonstrated. It will be seen so that the man walking on the street looks at you and says, Charlie is different. There's something about him that's different. Christ in you. I have four questions related, related to this scripture as well as uh, to uh, the relationship we have with God, and you'll have to listen carefully to me because I'm going to quote most of the scriptures. And believe me, trust me, I am not misquoting or interpreting on my own. Now listen to this, question number one. How does God come to live in me? How does he come to live? We say Christ is in me, how does that happen? Here again, is there some metaphysical event? Uh, I'll reserve my answer on that for my theology classes. But the other question is, 
How do I know he is in me? How does it happen? What takes place? Is there a big flashing light? Oh, is it as some people say, pray and pray and pray till boom, I've got God's spirit in me. A lot of people say that. Fast and fast and fast. Some of us need to do that, but for different reasons. But uh, uh, is that how God's spirit comes in you? The Bible is clear on this, and I'm amazed at people forgetting what the scriptures say. Listen to me, and I promise you I'm correct in the quotation, paraphrasing. Acts 5.32 says, God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. The key word there is obedience. And when does that obedience begin? Acts 2.38. Thousands came on the day of Pentecost. They heard the preaching of um, the apostle Peter with power, etc. And they came to Peter and said, what must we do? D-O-Do, -do, action. And Paul, Peter answered, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we understand the remission of sins, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Never, 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 never forget that. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved. But it also says, through faith. And that's where this obedience comes in, or baptism, the beginning. That's where it starts. Now, it's not a sermon on baptism, it's on the Holy Spirit in us. Have you been baptized, by the way? You know, uh, a lot of people poo-poo it, a lot of people play it down. Uh, but remember this. What takes place is, very simply, I'm not going to go on into teaching that it's immersion and this and that, we all know that. But what happens is, when we go down into water, we are literally buried. I baptize a lot of people uh, uh, in a most thrilling way. Karen was there in the month of uh, August. I baptized my grandson. Six feet tall, I'm small, I'm old. Of course, when you put them in the water, they lose a lot of that weight. It was a glorious baptism. But you know, if I was strong enough, I could have drowned him. <laughs> Kept him there long enough. What is that proof of burial? It's a symbolism, no doubt about that. No magic in the water, no this, and so on and so forth, nothing like that. But it is a burial in imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ's own death and burial and resurrection. What else is it? Nothing more than getting into water. How does that affect me when Jesus died, buried more than 2,030 um, uh, years ago? What does it do? Just flashback? Like yesterday's uh, uh, Ohio State game. Trouble with uh, some of these TV football games. They don't let it take its course. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Uh, do you know who the quarterback was in 1942? Who cares? I'm worried about Ohio State winning now. Uh, but this is not like that flashback. This is not just memory control. Like the Lord's Supper, it's more than just memory. This is my connection. When I was baptized, I connected with Jesus Christ. 
Here again, I don't know the metaphysics. And this is what uh, 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 Romans tells us so beautifully. We are united with him in baptism. I became united with Christ. Now you see the logic of what Acts 2.38 says. Repent and be baptized. Gift of the Holy Spirit. Because I imitated his death and I connected with him. I did nothing. God did everything. On the day of Pentecost, when they came and said, what should we do? And Peter told them this, more than 3,000 were baptized. And you know, a few days later, more than 5,000 were baptized. By the way, Colossians was written by Paul. Do you know that Paul was baptized? Oh, by the way, Paul went around preaching every fair, and there was a lady called Lydia on the river banks, and after he taught her, right away she says, can I be baptized? There was a finance minister from Ethiopia, and um, uh, he was joined by, um, uh, 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 taught the gospel in the chariot, and as they passed the oasis, he says, can I be baptized? Well, we go on and on. I could give you uh, 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 the jailer was baptized. Point being, we are assured, we are guaranteed, we've given the seal of confidence, God's Holy Spirit is in us through our baptism, which comes to the question at this point, are you baptized? I know many people have questions on it. I'll be glad to help get my phone number and I talk to you, I have time. If you're not my friend, don't forget that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Forget everything I said. The simplest reason to be baptized is commanded. You don't need anything else. But here it is, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then let's move on to question number two. All right, all right, you say God's spirit is in you. You have proved that. How can God live in us? I'm, I'm, I'm only a human being. I've got flesh, blood. Somehow God is giving me good health. My daughters take very good care of me. I'll testify to that. With one little fault, they don't let me drive on the highway. <laughs> I don't understand why. Uh, anyhow, so what is my Iowa uh, uh, routing? Urbandale to Grimes Walmart, Grimes Walmart to Urbandale. On the way, McDonald's. <laughs> Nothing more than that. Anyhow, the point of the matter is this. They take good care of me, God's blessings, but if God is in me, how is that possible when I'm a human being with weaknesses and failures and ups and downs? This is really theological and it's really beautiful. Listen carefully to this. Don't forget that half of the word theology is logic, theological. Let's use plain old logic now rather than any kind of fantasy and that kind of stuff. The Bible says that when man was created, you know how, God made him out of clay. 
mud. Some people like to use the word dirt. Created him out of clay and uh, formed, King James says, and he formed him. I like to use the word sculpted him. You know, beautiful. And uh, you know what Eve said when she first met Adam, there's no man like you. You know, and God then breathed into man his spirit of life. You're not like the doggies. You know, God didn't do that for them. Or like the cats. My granddaughter just got a kitten. And Karen's big problem with the kitten is why is its tail so long? You know, she's not worried about the rest of the kitten. <laughs> why is the tail so long? And the point is this. We are not animals. We behave like animals who do everything by instinct. But God made us in his image many things in that image of God. But he breathed into us the breath of life. His spirit is in us. And when God's Holy Spirit is given to us, now I say this carefully, it needs a lot of explanation, and maybe I shouldn't throw it out in a message because it takes time. His spirit merges with our spirit. You see, man is body and spirit. Man is not just body. We don't just die and disappear. All men die. All men will rise again. All men will be judged because that spirit will always be kept alive. And so we have God's spirit in us, sometimes combating with that spirit that came into us, our corrupt nature, which happened due to the fall. But it is absolutely scientifically possible that if I have a spirit, God's spirit comes in, merger. I become a God person. God takes over. But because of the corrupt nature that we get in us, the combat goes on for life. But I've got God's spirit in me. And that's what our scripture says, in this process of God's spirit in me and in my spirit, slowly, 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 we conform to his image. That, we read that. Now, what is the image of God in reality according to John? God is, not a spirit, God is spirit. So you see the beauty of this? His spirit comes in, merges with our spirit, there's a combat going on. But if we follow the Lord and obey Him, little by little, slowly by slowly, slowly, first Colossians, we conform to His image so that when we get to meet God, who is spirit, we are spirit. That's our glory to come. So we are not just ordinary people. We are not just uh, flesh and blood. We are much, much more than that. So how does God's Holy Spirit come to us when we obey him? And how does he live in us? Because we also have a spirit. That's why the Bible says, don't you know your bodies that flesh and blood is the temple, the dwelling place, the residence, the accommodation of God's Holy Spirit. That's who you are. That's who I am. You are not. Never forget it. You're a person of value. Don't ever let any psychiatrist or psychologist or some two-gooder or some secular person tell you, who are you, man? 
you know who I am. And if you have a mustache, twirl it and say, you know who I am. Because you're a valuable person in the sight of God. God's spirit is in you. Therefore, we come to that second word. We have a hope. What's that hope? <clears throat> well, simply put, paraphrasing from Titus chapter 2, verse 13. We look forward to the blessed hope of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope, when we talk about hope biblically, it's not like we normally say, tomorrow Iowa is playing. I hope they win. Now, that kind of hope is, you know, without confidence because they might lose. Even Ohio State was given a run by Indiana yesterday, if you watched that game. And I kept saying, I hope they win, I hope they win. Very important to uh, win the first game in the college series. Gives you, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is with confidence. Biblical hope is with assurance. Biblical hope is with joy. Or I would like to say joyousness. Confidence and joyous assurance that good things will happen. Not saying, I hope I get rid of this disease. I hope I lose weight. No, 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 no. Biblical hope says, I hope for the time when Jesus returns because I know he's coming back. It more, it's more like a looking forward, a glorious anticipation, like a person looking forward to the day of marriage. It's all been set, the engagement's been done, the ring has been ordered. Met a poor man um, in the Philippines, but he wasn't really the one. He was the, one of the workers in the church where I preached, big church in the 60s. Those days it was a thousand plus. I wasn't the preacher, no. But, uh, this guy was not married and bitter and so on. I said, what happened? He wouldn't tell me and somebody says, you know what happened? He didn't show up on his wedding day at the church. I don't know what reason and so on. No, this is not like that. It's, I just use that as a temporary illustration. Joyously looking forward. To what? To the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We just said we are being conformed to his image. Day by day we are being changed till one day we will see Christ face to face having conformed to his image. Now, remember this now. What it does to life today. Saying it in different ways. If there is a resurrection to come, and there is a resurrection to come, and that's what we look forward to, what are the little problems of today? You know what? My mother's dying of cancer. She did in a way. But what's that? Oh, it's sorrow. It's pain. It's agony, both for the patient and the survivors. No, but what's that compared to where she's going? Face to face with God. That should be the way we think of things. I lose my job. I become homeless. In a way, I'm homeless. I depend on my daughters. But <laughs> uh, uh, so I become homeless. 
something. Living in caves. I'd die sooner than if I had a good house. Yet, what is that compared to face to face with God? You see how it changes our whole perspective of life. I'm a well over 80. No apologies for that. Proud to say it. I travel a lot. I'm going to be going back to India in uh, uh, October. In December, I'm preaching uh, quite a bit in Australia and etc., uh, etc. Et Coming back in last night, even keep April and May free to return to the. I, at my age, it's not easy to travel, but I love to travel. What to make you afraid of? Oh, you're not afraid. What am I to be afraid of? If anything does happen, face to face with God. Oh, by the way, my uh, eldest daughter said this day, we're not worried if anything happens. You know, they bought my tomb and tombstone already. My name is already on it. And they said, even if you crash, we get something, maybe a finger, and bury it there. The point is this. If we have this glorious thing to look forward to, Conforming to the image of God, the resurrection, living with God, anything on earth can be bearable. Don't think I'm that lonely. I lost my wife. She used to come to Gateway. She loved it. 2016. Don't think when I go home to India, the house we have there, usually the flights arrive late at night. I put the key in the door and open. There's nobody to greet me, not even a dog. It's lonely. But God is in me. I've got something to look forward to. What is that? Face to face with him. And that will be my glory. That is the glory that Paul is talking about. The glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's an old hymn, and we don't sing these beautiful old hymns anymore that are filled with theology. The refrain goes like this. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory, glory for me. That's what Paul said. Christ in me, the hope and glory. There is glory for me. What's it going to be like because of this glory? It's going to be in a place where <laughs> the Bible says it so nicely. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more criticisms, no more political parties. No problems as to who's to be the next president. Oh my, what a problem. And on and on and on and on. No. Face to face with God in an eternity where nothing, nothing is going to matter. Glory for me in heaven. You know, I could preach a whole sermon. I did once on glory. Just give you the example of what happened to Moses. Moses went up into the mount, met, met with God 40 days, etc., etc., and was so bold enough that he asked God and said, now God said, go down with the Lord. He said, no, 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 Lord, I want more. How much more do you want, Moses? 
And Moses says, I want to see you. And God says, no man has seen God and lived. But Moses, you and I are so close. You and I are very, very intimate with each other. So I'm going to do something which I don't understand again. I'm going to let my back pass before you. God has split it, the back of the, I don't know. But Moses came down from the mount. And the people said, get away from us. We can't face you. Your face is so bright. The glory of God was imparted to Moses so that he had to use a veil. The glory of God is so great that even in a physical sense, people couldn't stand it if they were not part of that glory. But you and I, one day, Bible says it in beautiful language and I could quote the whole thing, but in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and the Lord will descend with a shout. Actually, I love that thing. The Lord will send with a shout. I wonder what he will shout. And then it says the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, a lot of theology. One of my favorite subjects teaching at the seminary is eschatology. I wish I could teach a class here and there. Because uh, there's so much misunderstanding. The dead in Christ shall rise first and then, not after 10 years or 20 years, and then, we who are alive will join him in the air. And the Bible clearly says that forever. Not temporarily, forever. That will be glory. Yes, glory for me. And so I close with questions. Will you share in that glory? And my answer to you is this. Very, very definitely, the answer is this. Yes, you can. I hold in my hands a little bit of wine and uh, grape juice, but there's a little bit, a tiny, tiny bit of uh, 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 bread. Not criticizing, but sometimes these pieces are so small. I've told you this before. If you have a a gap in your teeth, it gets stuck. But never mind, never mind that. You know what John says in chapter 6, verse 56? He says this very clearly. Unless, or let's put it positively, he who eats my flesh, symbolized here, because he said this is my body. These are not my words. This is not church doctrine. This is not some gateway situation. This is scripture. John chapter 6, verse 56, and this time I'm not paraphrasing, I'm reading. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, God in us. Abides in me, and this is it, God in us. I in him. This is more than flashback. This is more than memory. This is the Lord's table where we meet with him. Come this morning together as the church at Gateway. Let's meet our Jesus.